0: Hi everyone, welcome back to Sustainability Speaks. We're your hosts, Stasia and Saskia.
1: On today's podcast, we're excited to welcome Ben. He's the General Manager of the EMA region of Minor Figures. Ben, would you like to introduce yourself? Tell us a bit about Minor Figures. Um, Yeah, let's kick things off.
2: Sure. Uh, Hey everyone, I'm Ben. I'm the General Manager at Minor Figures um, in the EMEA office. uh we're a business that was founded in twenty fifteen um we 're a completely plant based business we weren't initially um we developed a range of um oat milk um products in twenty eighteen um which is when our business became completely plant based um yeah we're we're hundred people across um three offices with uh, trade in over forty countries. Um, doubling every 10 months and sustainability is actually really at the core of what we do why we do it and how we do it
0: great thank you so much for that overview I know that I can speak from both myself and Saskia's uh, point of view that we're very excited to have you on um, because we've seen minor figures in shops before and have tried it so we're very excited to have you Um, I guess because you have spoken a bit about the origins of minor figures, could you just perhaps elaborate a bit more on that in terms of where the idea came from and why did you decide to then perhaps also transition onto um, sustainable products?
2: Sure. Um, So we call us, we actually call ourselves a coffee business. Um, We were founded by three friends in 2015 who would all worked in the coffee industry. And actually have really strong links to um, sustainability in the consumer space. So our CEO and, and one of our founders, Stuart Forsyth, he founded a business called Keep Cup, which is a reusable cup. It was, I think, the, the first kind of re- mass reusable cup um, sold in the sort of coffee space. Uh, it's an Australian business and um, really well distributed around the world. So he was working in selling that product into coffee shops and coffee chains and coffee roasters. Um, and one thing he found kind of at the time living in the UK was the um, the beverage space was quite um, uninspiring, quite boring. Um, ice coffee was just um, dairy, sort of big dairy giants who were just adding um, some pretty low grade coffee to their products as a product extension. And that was sold as kind of ice coffee. So he wanted to bring the kind of LA or um, uh, Tokyo-style cold brew to to the to a UK audience, um, and that's when in twenty fifteen he partnered up with two friends, uh, Will and Johnny, to launch a range of iced coffees, iced cold brew coffees, um, with mixed success actually. Um, and one of the one of the brewers in our business in twenty eighteen. Uh, who who helped develop products decided that he personally was going to become vegan uh, and that kind of led the business to look quite inward at the products we were making which had dairy in them at the time uh, and to really decide that we didn't feel altogether comfortable um, with the dairy industry and the dairy product we were therefore putting in our products so Um, yeah in 2018 we developed dairy alternative we were looking for the the alternative that um, complemented coffee best so had like the most neutral flavor didn't taste too sweet or too bitter or um, too weird uh, and that just happened to be oat milk Uh, it has a very neutral flavor profile it's a really familiar flavor to those of us who live in the northern hemisphere Um, and Yeah. It kind of, the business kicked off from there. Um, sort of fast forward to now. Yeah. We're in, in 40 countries, as I said earlier, uh, in the UK, about 6,000 coffee shops use our products. Um, and most recently launched into places like Tesco's, Waitrose, Morrison's, um, and beyond, uh, all of the products made in, in Somerset very proudly made in the UK. Um, We uh, have actually carbon offset all the way back to 2018. Um, That's something we're really proud of and and kind of most recently, just a few weeks ago, became a B Corp as well, which which we think kind of strengthens a lot of our kind of um, credibility in that space and also helps drive our kind of ethical and sustainable compass.
1: I've definitely got to say, having drank soy milk for quite a few years, when oat milk became... Um, accessible I've got to say it did really change my life is a big, <laughs> big blessing
2: <laughs> yeah it's um it can be quite an unusual flavor um soy, soy milk which I think is why its popularity is starting to wane also in terms of its credentials versus oat milk I mean oat milk's sort of eight times less carbon intensive than dairy on average it requires 13 times less water uh 18 times less land and across most metrics, it comes out as either, either first or second in terms of um, its impact uh, on, on environment. So uh, as, a, as a summary altogether, it's, it's, the, um, it's kind of the go to choice, I think, if, if, if that's your, your driving reason for picking dairy alternatives.
1: How do you find it compares with almond milk? Because um, I know that that also has quite a negative environmental impact.
2: It does, yeah, um almond milk's an interesting one it's um It's a lot less popular here than it is in the u s for instance um, as just as a coffee drinker, I find it to be very, very sweet. Um, it obviously is an allergen as well, um, and there's a whole debate around um, around almond farming and the impact of that. so I think as as a crop it's um it's a lot more challenging. Uh, to grow and it's a lot more impactful than oats there are there are actually other crop sources which um, are very good from a sustainability point of view but perhaps not so good from a sort of consumer point of view so I would think about things like hemp milk or um, perhaps pea milk which is starting to become a bit more popular but again those products just this is my personal preference they taste quite chalky um, they taste a bit unusual in coffee, um, they might be great on cereal, but they're not great in other things. So, yeah, it's really hard to find an alternative to oat as an alternative. Uh, we haven't found it yet. We, we're, not, um, we're not resigned to the fact that we're, we don't want to just be an oat milk brand. We, we don't say that we have to make oat milk. Um, it just so happens at the, at the moment we think that ticks all of our
0: boxes. Um, I think something that it's quite interesting to me and I'm sure it'll be very interesting to our listeners as well. You did say that the founders came from a coffee space. Um, That's right. But what was your individual journeys in the renewables and in the sustainable space, which then led you to say, actually, this is what we want to do.
2: Yeah. So, um, so I, I, as I touched on Stuart, Stuart, um, with his um, his brother and sister back in Australia found as, as kind of product designers founded Keep Cup because um, Australia has a really exciting speciality coffee scene. Um, it has brilliant weather where um, folks don't mind queuing up a- outside of the coffee shop for perhaps quite a while to get their coffee or to sit outside and enjoy their coffee. So there's, there's a brilliant coffee scene across um, Australia. A lot of, australians would proudly say that um it's the home of the flat white although some some kiwis would argue that it comes from new zealand but the coffee seems great there and i think that um stuart and his siblings kind of saw the um the huge amount of waste that um coffee shops produce at the end of each day in single-use cups and even in cartons of, of milk and just general waste uh, it can be massive six seven eight bin bags a day just full of packaging so they look to solve that with the invention and the creation of keep cup which is kind of a universally popular reusable um, cup which is customizable made out of glass kind of infinitely reusable um, and that business has really gained a lot of prominence um, and i think kind of going in and out of coffee shops and selling those products into into that space opened stuart up to get to know the coffee community which is actually a really exciting community lots of folks who are out of work actors or musicians or painters or artists kind of tend to um to do shifts in coffee shops so you, you have like an amazing group of creatives working in that space um one of our other founders, Will, was a professional musician and between gigs and touring, he would work in various different coffee shops around London. And then our other founder, Johnny, was actually working in the tea business. Um he had a, a tea brand that was sold across Australia and the UK. So they all met through coffee, um, through conversations over coffee and conversations about quality, origin, sourcing and sustainability there's probably a lot of question marks over sustainability in coffee um, environmentally and ethically um, that there's we could probably talk for hours on this but of course there's the price that people pay for coffee is incredibly low compared to uh, the input required to grow harvest and source dry and roast Grind and then produce a cup of coffee. That that entire chain is um is fractured and broken, and yeah, we could probably do another ten sessions on that. But I think as a starting point, that's how the business was formed over coffee, um, and a desire for a bit of change and to bring about something of higher quality. And then, as I say, in twenty eighteen, we had a shift to plant based. Partly on a kind of moral and ethical standpoint, point but also on a sustainability standpoint. Um, so yeah, it's it's been it's been an important journey for the business to go on. Uh, it's been a real big key to success and becoming carbon neutral. Back to that point, and offsetting one hundred percent of emissions across scope one, two, and three have have been a real focus for us. So we we compensate for emissions created by directly by our business but also indirectly by those that supply our business Um, so whether it's the people that sell us packaging or the people that fill the cartons with our oat milk all of that is offset as well as me jumping on a train to London for meetings so it's it's a really thorough offset and it's a it's a really thorough program we have within our business because it's so important to us.
1: That's really good to know because I think when people talk about carbon offsetting a lot, they're not very transparent about what that actually includes. So hearing that is useful. Um, Also just touch on the point about the coffee industry. If anybody listening to this is interested, we did actually um, host an episode with Amor Perfecto where we discussed the coffee industry. So please make sure to go listen to that to find out some more. As you have touched upon quite a bit, I think so far about what, makes minor figures different is there anything else you think that makes minor figures unique against other oat milk brands
2: yeah I think there's a lot so I think that um well firstly our mission would be very different I think where a lot of businesses would be posting like that they want you know and maybe it's a chocolate business and they want everybody to enjoy their products all over the world all of the time um ours is ours is much less commercially focused so our, our belief, what we believe, is that to save the world, you have to throw a better party than those that are destroying it, and that's our, our kind of belief. And our vision is to be a leading innovative force that creates our energetic, creative, compassionate, and a fairer future for our customers. And we actually identify our customers via an acronym, which is a bit of a mouthful. I'm going to try and say it. I've got a bit of a cold today, um, but the acronym is YBSCCS. So our customers are young, bold, socially conscious consumers. And that's who, that, who we're looking to talk to and connect with when we're building our brand. We've been called more funk than punk. We're a kind of rabble of um, ex-musicians, artists, photographers, all sorts. Um, and, you know, the brand and the business feels anti-corporate, I would say. And that's very intentional. As a group of people, we feel very fatigued at being sold to all the time when we open our phones or our laptops or we walk down the street and we see loads of billboards and they're all trying to sell us stuff. The brand is very purposefully restrained and stripped back. You know, you can see that in our packaging. It's very simplistic, um, single colors. Um, yeah, we, we do all the things you shouldn't do to be a successful food business, um, but it seems to work.
0: Great. That's that's definitely very interesting, Uh, especially the whole concept that you described in terms of the business being founded by uh, creatives and then now how that's also transpiring into the business. And I also presume that because there's that element within it, inevitably, as you mentioned, that the consumers that you're able to appeal to actually goes beyond and is a lot more broader. Also, because I think if someone, let's say, is you know from the corporate world people are still very interested in very cool products and if you know if you have that from the outset then inevitably that will differentiate you and will attract more consumers as well
2: yeah totally i think um i think we do want to be a very broad church but we're really clear that our center point is is that ybscc customer that we kind of go after um and i think i think what's really good about younger consumers is they are rightly say so, very demanding of transparency and ethics and, and brands doing the right thing so that's good because that ensures that we we keep really focused on that on that goal and that mission
1: yeah I think the packaging helps because it's really cool I think it's quite attractive
2: the duck lady in the in the duck seat yeah if you look at all of our packaging there is a duck on every single um illustration I have no idea why I'm not sure we do but we just like ducks.
1: Yeah, I think it's fun. It's attractive. It's it's the target audience.
2: <laughs> totally, yeah.
1: We have spoken a little bit about being a B Corp a bit earlier on in the episode. How do you <laughs> think this helps minor figures adjust your business strategy to ensure sustainability?
2: Yeah, so um, B Corp's really interesting. Um, it's, and this is, personal opinion it i think it's very prevalent accreditation in the uk i'm not sure how prevalent it is currently beyond the uk um what's been good to see just as a shopper is some retailers have like during b corp month they have um b corp sections in store where they kind of call out b corp and on their websites too so that's really good um that's where it's great to see retailers kind of giving it that focus and taking that um, space away from what might otherwise go to kind of bags of crisps and chocolate bars I think there's something like 5,000 B Corps or just under 5,000 B Corps at the moment out of over like 300 million registered businesses in the world so it's still a very small group of businesses and it's a real recognition of the desire to have business be a force for good it's really clear that Um, profitability is still very important to businesses it's how businesses grow and function but actually there is a different way of doing business along the way Um, this kind of triple bottom line that they talk about around people um, planet and profit Um, so I think (laughs) I think it's a a really good it's a really good accreditation for us to have we actually feel that what we do already goes actually beyond the scope of B Corp Um, mostly in terms of um, the sort of environmental offsetting we do, but I think it 's a really good way for to keep businesses like us in check, but also for consumers to be able to see um, and look up businesses and see what their their measurements and their actions are behind what they do. I think it 's also really good for if somebody was coming into the feed industry for the first time to be able to look at the different programs of businesses r- um, run for its employees for its shareholders and for its customers um if you were if you were like assessing whether you wanted to work somewhere it'd be a really great tool to be able to go and look at what those brands and businesses actually do and how they do them i think the framework could actually go a lot further not not kind of being critical of it but i think it's i think it's a good foundation but it could actually go much further and i think of some businesses that have been in the news more recently um for not so good reasons and have still got B Corp accreditation. So it makes me kind of slightly question how much reassessment the, the, the B Corp certification does some famous beer brands based in Scotland, for instance, you know, that have come under fire rightly or wrongly. I don't know, but um, it, it, yeah so I think if there's an accreditation of framework it has to be kept alive it has to be kept in check and it has to continue to go further but for now I think it's a really good foundation um back to your question yeah I think it helps us um want to continually improve and want to keep our score growing um and so from a business strategy perspective I think it's um it plays very nicely into our sustainability, our people and our culture programs of how we can continue to improve as we grow. So yeah, hopefully in a roundabout way, that answers your question. But I think, I think the triple bottom line piece is really important. So, you know, supporting and giving focus to planet people and profit, you know, and they, they talk about that. They kind of foresee a new, a new, a new way of capitalism and a a change in the capitalist mindset. So that's for me you know really attractive about the program
0: the question that I have is linked to you know that last bit of profit and also Mm -hmm. linked to just overall investment that you have been able Mm -hmm. to secure at minor figures Uh, could you perhaps just expand a little bit more on that in terms of how you seek out sustainable investment in particular and whether that's something that's important to you and I think also Mm -hmm. to our listeners just to give you a bit more of a Backstory in terms of why I'm asking this particular question is because I'm sure a lot of people also know about Oatly, uh, which is also mm-hmm. an oat milk brand, and they have come under some scrutiny in the past um, for accepting an investment from Blackstone. And we actually did a podcast on that as well. It was one of our first ones. Um, so it would be great to hear um, from you in terms of minor figures and what your approach to investment is. I think it'll be very interesting.
2: Yeah, it's a great question. It's. Um... It's also really difficult to answer because (laughs) I think in the case of Oakley, um, I'm very much on public record, as you say, they have investment from Blackstone, which has questionable activities in, um, in the rainforest, as well as um, involvement in certain um, elements of American invest uh, in American politics. Um, They also much earlier than Blackstone have investment from China resources, Um, which has links to various other things people can look up Um, but it's difficult because in this particular space that we're operating in as a business this is the fastest growing space in in CPG and food and drink Um, probably one of the most exciting spaces with a ton of innovation coming through all the time across every sort of touch point and facet of food and drink so naturally when analysts at any investment house private equity venture capitalist fund or family office look at trends and analyze trends as they do um, this would come up as a particular space that's growing fast and really exciting and so it would be natural for any investment house to want to pour money into this space and that's both good and bad Uh, and it's really important that you kind of know who you're getting into bed with in that sense Um, because ultimately the folks that are are switching into plant-based alternatives are usually doing it for a moral reason or an ethical standpoint, because the dairy industry is fundamentally fractured. So we have been very cautious around our own investment base. The business, when it was founded very early on, um, had a very small crowd cube round, which could be anyone like you or I putting in a sum from £10 up to £10,000. So that was how the business was originally funded, as well as the founder's own money. Um, And that had remained the case for a long time. Uh, We took on some strategic investment approximately two or three years ago. Um, That was from an American investor who is a a vegan, um, had enjoyed our products, Um, at his local coffee shop, uh, I think, actually in Toronto, um, and wanted to personally put some money into the business. So, again, similar to the CrowdCube kind of investment, that's somebody that's largely investing because of a personal kind of um, fondness or or, um, awareness of the brand and product. And beyond that, at this stage, we don't have any strategic investors um, no Blackstones, no big institutions, um, no um, intergovernmental bodies. So that's something we're we're pretty happy about, pretty proud of having a, a you know, a, a small, what we call cap table um, of investors. Naturally, the brand as it continues to scale, particularly across the US and uh, into Asia, will likely take on more investment. But we would be very kind of cautious and considerate of who that is and where that money comes from. But as I say, it is difficult because so many people want to invest in this space and they may have investments in oil or mining or whatever other spaces, um, which would be questionable for us because of the moral compass the business has.
1: When you say take on more investments in the future can Mm -hmm. you see minor figures doing an IPO or do you think it will always stay private
2: yeah it's definitely it's definitely a possibility um ultimately it's up to the three founders but um it's definitely a possibility I think though there there could be a a loss of sense of control in terms of when you IPO you know anyone can purchase shares in your business it's um, again back to that Swedish brand that was mentioned earlier it's been a really challenging um, 10 months for that business in terms of its um, position on the stock stock exchange and you're also then exposed to headwinds of things like um, conflicts breaking out or hikes in inflation and rising commodity costs so it's a really tricky one I think it's probably something a business more mature and bigger than ours would think about. But um, yeah, it's definitely exciting prospects to, to think about something like that.
0: And I guess to um, finish off, it would be great to hear about um, some of your biggest successes to date in terms of what you think those have been and also perhaps mm-hmm. some of your goals for the future.
2: Great. So more recently, we launched a um, package free format in the UK, which um, we call our oat milk refill stations. We have those in over 120 package free stores in the UK and sort of quite fast going list in Ireland as well. And those are these kind of very analog clunky um dispensers of of oat milk which um, sit on the countertops of package free stores and consumers can go in with their own containers glass bottles etc and refill um, with our products so those have been a real great success and it's an entirely closed loop system so the vessel which the um, the bladder which the oat milk is delivered to those stores in is um, then uh, returned to um, a partner we work with who takes those bladders and um, turns them into green energy so it's an entirely closed loop system all of the um, transport emissions are offset as well so that's that's a product innovation we're really excited about um the consumption on it's large it helps consumers avoid having to buy products in tetra packs which are difficult to curbside recycle in the uk so we're really excited about that format having trialed it in the uk and rolling that out across other markets um, other sort of big successes have been our recent launches into grocery retail. Um, it's something we took a long time to do. A lot of businesses in food and drink, like the first thing they want to do is be on the shelves of Tesco. That was actually the last thing we wanted to do. Um, we wanted to build our brand up first in coffee shops and health food stores and um, other retailers before we entered the grocery space. We feel like that's paid off really well for us because consumers already recognize the products when they go and do their weekly food shop. It's not like an alien kind of new thing that's just launched on the shelf and they don't know what it is. Um, So that feels like that's been a big success. And then I think um, just the team, we have like a really brilliant team globally. Um, One of my sort of missions in my role as GM is to, help to create the best environment to attract and retain the best talent. Uh, It's just a really fun place to work um, with a really interesting and fun group of people that are really hardworking. So I think we've got that balance right. We don't always get everything right, but I I feel like we've got a really great team, really great products and really great innovations coming through. I guess in terms of next milestones, I mentioned we're in 40 countries. Our, our main markets are actually the UK, US, Australia, Canada, Japan, and Ireland. So our next sort of milestones is expanding that core list of markets um, by another three or four countries. <clears throat> and when I talk about core markets, I mean like having a team on the ground, investing into the market, actively marketing the brand and the products in those markets so we'll we'll add some more to that list Um, we are doubling in size every 10 months so we've we're still um we're still tiny compared to some of our rivals like Alpro and Oatly Um, so we have a long way to go and continuing the sort of (laughs) sustainability journey less about offsetting more about our kind of uh, reduction pro- sort of um, strategies and projects so um, we align with the scientific recommendations from the likes of the Oxford offsetting principles so we um, we actively want less impact we know we can pay and work with organizations to offset but how do we just actually reduce as we continue to scale so that's a really big focus for us and a big milestone
1: Well, thank you so much, Ben, for joining us on this podcast. We have really enjoyed hearing about Minor Figures, especially as Stage said at the beginning, so it's been a brand that we have been aware about for quite some time. So it's super cool for us, kind of a full circle moment. So we really, really appreciate it. And I'm sure our listeners will too.
2: Brilliant. Thanks so much for having us.
0: As usual, all the links to Minor Figures will be in the description of this podcast. So please do check them out and also make sure to follow us on Instagram, Spotify, LinkedIn and Facebook for future updates and episodes. Um, Thank you so much for listening.